Lord, I thank you so much that you know how to draw us, you know how to prepare us for everything that you desire for us. For us individually, Lord, but also as a body and as a vessel, Lord, that you desire to use for your glory in our time here on earth, Lord. So God, I just pray uh, you would help us, Lord, as we look at your word to hunger and thirst for what the early church had. Lord, help any unbelief. Lord, I pray you would weed through all the confusion that is out there on this topic. All I know personally, Lord, is I need everything you have for me. I want everything you have for me, Lord. I am bankrupt in myself. I can do nothing without you, Lord. I need you now. And God, I yield my vessel to you. I need your anointing. I need the Holy Spirit to speak, to empower the word, to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish in every heart. So God, I yield myself. I just surrender to you, Lord. I ask, Holy Spirit, open up hearts. Do in the minds and hearts of everyone listening what is necessary, what you are wanting to do for your people, for your church, Lord, so that you can be glorified the way you want to be in this dark world we are living, Lord. So bless your word today. Let it bear fruit for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I just want to really share my heart for this coming year. I want to kind of remind us why we do what we do. It's really on the back wall there in Luke 4, verses 18 through 19. That is the mission of the church, really. That's what God has called us to do in our time here. Uh, so I'm just going to read it. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So I'm going to just focus on one phrase in that portion of Scripture. Because without this phrase, without what that phrase is talking about, nothing else happens. And the phrase is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointing of God, the power of God, the promise of the Holy Spirit, working in all of his fullness through God's people. And so that's what I want to look at today. And I'm going to have to trust the Lord because I forgot to put my glasses on. So, Lord, I need the Spirit to open up my eyes a little bit. Praise the Lord. Um, so, you know, I posed a question to the Lord. Yeah, thank you. All right, so he answered prayer. Amen. He does it in his way. See, don't, don't put God in a box. Um, what does God want to do for his church in the coming year? What, you know, really, God, what do you want to do in your church? Like, what's your heart? What's your will? What's your plan, Lord? And, and really, when you think about it, his plan doesn't change. 
We know what his will is for the church, don't we? What is his will for the church? What did he command? What was the mission he gave to his disciples? There it is. All right. So that's why we have these verses on the back wall there. What does Matthew 28, 19 say? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God hasn't changed his mind. That's still our calling. That's still the mission of the church. But we need something from God. We need something from heaven to fully accomplish that. And that has not changed either. And so this is a very, very important message. And, and my heart, my prayer has been, Lord, I need more of this. Our church needs more of it. Make us hungry. Help us, Lord, to see our need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's really all I want to talk about today. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Not just to be indwelt. Not just to have the Holy Spirit, but to be full of the Holy Spirit to where it's overflowing out of your life. What does it mean to constantly be filled over and over and over with the Holy Spirit to where you cannot contain it? It just comes out of your life with power and it affects everybody around you. What does that mean? What does that look like? How can I have that? Is that my testimony? Does that define my Christian experience? As, as maybe you read through the book of Acts or you read about the, 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 the works and the, the, just the, the character of the apostles and the saints that have gone before us, does that describe me? Am I walking in all the fullness that God has for my life? No, I'm not. And I'm so thankful God knows how to make us desperate. I am a desperate man. I, I'm like a beggar before God and just willing to take the crumbs, but really I want the whole cake. I want everything. I want everything because the more I understand of my weakness, my inability to love as he loves to accomplish what he's called me to accomplish, the more I understand my need for him. And, and to go to him every moment, every second of the day, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I need your Holy Spirit. God, let your grace be upon my life. I need your strength right now, Lord. I need your love, God. I need your power in my life. That should be a constant cry of our hearts. I know it was of the early church. They prayed continually. They were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And it overflowed. It changed the world. It changed the, their communities around them. And that's what God is wanting to do. So I want to ask you a question that was asked to some believers in Acts 19. Verse 1, it says, It happened... While Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much have heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So again, what, what would that prompt in us to think if someone asked you that? 
Have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Do you have the promise of Jesus? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I could say it in many different ways. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit upon you? What would be your answer? See, there's marks of it on your life. And I think and I believe from what I see in Scripture and what I have experienced in my own life, the Holy Spirit coming upon, the Holy Spirit filling is an experience that we know God has done a work in us and through us. It's a life-changing experience. It just is. It's the life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. Hallelujah. So then in verse 3, he said, into what will you baptize? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now, we have to understand who he's talking to. Who are these people? These were people three years prior that John the Baptist had an encounter with in his movement, his preparation of the Messiah, where the Jew, he was calling the Jewish people to repent, to receive forgiveness for their sins, to be baptized of their sign, of a sign of their new relationship with God, to believe on the Messiah. And John made it clear that the Messiah was coming soon and he would baptize, not with just water, but in the Holy Spirit. And it says in Luke 3.16, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, in them, filled them. They were full to overflowing. And because of that, it says, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. I heard a minister say, I wish it just said they they ate chocolate. <laughs> but it doesn't. It says they spoke in tongues. They spoke in tongues. And they prophesied. And that was an evidence of what God had done for them. All right. I'm not going to major on that, but when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will know and it will be evident to everyone around you. It's a life-changing experience. There was an inner filling to the point that it overflowed in an outward manifestation of the Spirit. So again, I want to make a distinction here. When it's talking about baptized, that word means immersed. It's complete. It's not just a trickle. It's not just a little sprinkling. It's being immersed into something fully, completely. 
So I want to make a distinction about that, that it's not the same as being regenerated. It's not the same, and we see it in Scripture. Paul says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. And the context shows that he is referring to a work of the Holy Spirit who unites all believers to Christ. This is virtually the same work as conversion. It's what the Holy Spirit does in a conversion. When you are born again, when you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God unites me. That's the seal of the Spirit talked about in Ephesians. It unites you into the body of Christ. And you become a fellow heir with him in eternal life. Luke 24, 29, though, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Notice the the phrase, power from on high. This is not talking about conversion. They were already converted. Until you are endued with power from on high. Acts 1.4, he charged them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And again, this is all after when the resurrected Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20 and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is after that. Jesus doesn't say, wait until in Jerusalem until you're born again. Wait until Jerusalem until you're converted and put into the body of Christ. No, he says, wait until you are clothed with power. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Verse 4 and 5 in Acts 1 shows us there's something very important that the apostles needed. They needed it if they were going to be effective in what God has called them to do. He says, you will receive power. Jesus says, this is going to happen in just a few days. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John, immerse you in water. I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. There's that word again. John, drenched you in water. Well, I'm going to drench you in the Holy Spirit. And we know in Acts 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire. It was distributed, rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, a filling with the Holy Spirit is always associated with extraordinary power, boldness, an absence of the fear of man, and a martyr spirit. In other words, someone like Peter, who who was afraid before for his life, 
even to the point where he denied Jesus, now, after he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, is bold and could care less if he's persecuted or if he even loses his life for the sake of Christ. So I want to look at a man named Stephen, and that's we're going to be in Acts 6. He was the first Christian martyr in the scriptures, and to me, Stephen provides a beautiful picture of someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, especially when we compare it with the religious people of his day. So I want to look at a few characteristics of this man who was full of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 6, verse 3, the church is growing. There's a lot of needs. There's people that they're complaining that people are being neglected. Uh, so the apostles get together, and they're like, we got to do something about this. So they pray, and the Lord gives them direction. And so that's what's happening here. So in verse 3, it says, Therefore... Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Now, this is interesting to me because we're talking about like waiting on tables, meeting like just basic needs of people and all. And yet, when they seek out men for this, there's qualifications that are very important. It says <laughs> to seek out men who are what? Full of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to just consider that word, full. Full of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no lack. They're full of the Holy Spirit. And wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. You know, I was thinking about this when I was studying this. You know, we've been here for eight years, and God has really been dealing with me about letting go of the tasks that need to be done around here. I, I like to make sure things are getting done. Um, and God's like, I've called you to preach. I've called you to shepherd. I've raised up other men who are full of the Holy Spirit, who have wisdom to take care of all the other stuff. And so I got to trust the Lord that he's raising up men. He is, that are full of the Holy Spirit, that have wisdom, that can take ownership, that will take responsibility for the needs of this body. That's how it works. So I can pray more. So I can seek the Lord more. So I'm not encumbered down with all of that other stuff that God anoints and gifts other people to meet those needs. And I'll be getting to this later, why it's so important that we're all full of the Holy Spirit, not just the minister. It's for everybody because God's got things for everybody to do and it all looks different. But we all need the same infilling and fullness of the Spirit working in our lives. So, out of these seven, there's a man, it says in verse 5, that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I want that to be my testimony. 
full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And really, so I ask now, does that describe us? Is that truly my testimony? Am I full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit? If I'm really honest with myself, does that describe my walk with God? And we're going to see what that looks like in a minute. So maybe we can examine ourselves. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So I'll just say being full of the Holy Spirit really goes hand in hand with being full of wisdom. Because the wisdom it's talking about here is knowledge, but it's not earthly knowledge. It's things that God, the Holy Spirit, reveals and makes real to us through the Word of God, where He opens up our understanding. And I'll just read a couple of scriptures that show us that. Um, Again, we either have a higher knowledge or a lower knowledge, a worldly knowledge or a spiritual knowledge. Acts 6.10 further down when he begins to speak to the religious people of his day, it says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. But in Luke 21 verse 14, Jesus said, settle it in your hearts. Don't meditate beforehand what you will answer. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. I will give you a power from heaven. I will fill you with my spirit. I will open up your mouth. And your adversaries, people that are coming against you, won't be able to resist you. And we see that manifesting in Stephen's life. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will help you to know the things God wants you to know. And he will bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you. When you think about the disciples, they were all unlearned men, fishermen, most of them, they weren't the intellect of the day, but they spent three years with Jesus and they heard his words. And it was the Holy Spirit that quickened the word. It was the Holy Spirit that made that word alive after Pentecost. It was the Holy Spirit that caused Peter to stand up and start expounding, this dumb fisherman start expounding on all the scriptures. And we see Stephen doing the same thing. In this chapter, this is just a dry textbook without the Holy Spirit. The natural mind, Corinthians tells us, cannot understand the things of God. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth, to make known to us what God has spoken to us in his word. And if it's just intellectual, there's no power in it. It will not do what God intends it to do. It just becomes the letter without the Spirit. And you know what? That kills, Paul said. All right. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He makes known to us the things of God. He makes the Word of God active, effective in our minds and our hearts. He leads us to the truth. 1 Corinthians 2 says this in verse 10. God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man does not receive the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So God wants you to know his heart, his will, his truth. He has spoken to us. He has made promises to us in his word. And the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals it and makes it alive to your spirit. So with that, with that knowledge, with that wisdom that comes from God, there's an opening of the mouth. So again, it goes hand in hand. And we see that in Stephen... We see it in the life of spirit, the boldness to proclaim what God had made known to him. So when we're full of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a boldness to open our mouth. Just think about their situation, what God was calling them to do in their time, and what they understood would happen if they did it. Many of them, they could be thrown in prison, they could be killed, um, Yet we see, right, with Peter, uh, when he's asked by that servant girl, do you know him? And he denies Jesus. This fear of men is not boldness. Yes, I know him. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He didn't say that. He said, I don't know him. And, and it reminds me of how we can be sometimes, right? When we're at Walmart or we're at work or there's a family member and we're sensing maybe we should share something, but we're afraid. There's not that boldness there. So are we full of the Holy Spirit? If we're full of the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to shut our mouths. Because it, it'll just bubble out of us. It'll just come forth out. There'll be no fear. And I've experienced that, but it, I'm not there all the time. But God wants to give us boldness to speak. And he wants us to speak and proclaim it in power. It says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. So how bold are we to share the truth of God with others? If we're not, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, also did great wonders and miracles among the people. So if I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be operating in the gifts that God has bestowed upon me. For him, it was miracles. Miracles were worked by his hands. And I want to make note, he wasn't an apostle, so it's not just for the apostles. It's for everybody. God intended for his church to operate in all the gifts of the Spirit. The church cannot fulfill her mission without all the gifts in operation. 
If the early church needed it, we still need it today. We might get some things done, but to truly turn the world upside down, to truly turn our community upside down, we need all the gifts. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us individually and as a body. Paul said in Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Paul taught we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in proportion to our faith. If you're full of faith, if you believe God, if you believe what God has said, you'll believe for the gifts that he bestows. You'll believe for the grace that he bestows upon you so that you can operate in your gifting and in your calling from God. Don't doubt him. It's how he works in his church. It's how he works through his people. He wants us to believe him for that. We cannot do it in our own strength. We don't have the ability to do what is needed. We don't have the ability to save souls. We don't have the ability to do anything without the help of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts we see in three different passages in the New Testament. We see it in Romans 12. We see it in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. We see three ways God uses the gifts. There's establishing gifts. We see that in Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians 12.29. These are the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are mainly used for planting and growing churches. We also see uh, supporting gifts in Romans 12. Verses 6 through 8, prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, giving, administration, leadership, mercy. These are used primarily to organize, to administrate the church so that it may best carry out its responsibilities. And then we have ministry gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12. With wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, Miracles, prophecy, helps, administration, leadership, discerning spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are all the tools that the Holy Spirit uses for ongoing ministry in the church. So I guess my question is, are we as a church full of the Holy Spirit? Are all these gifts operating in our midst? If not, why not? A spiritual gift is a God-given ability. I cringe when I hear people say, oh, that guy's so talented. God can really use it. I'm like, no. God's not interested in your abilities. If anything, he'll call you something you're not good at so that you'll stay needy for him. That's what he did with me. I've seen guys 
I've seen worship guys, gifted musicians, naturally. And man, they could move you. They can get your emotions worked up. But I would always be cringing inside because I didn't sense the spirit in it. And then you find out later what's really going on in the life. Thank God we have a worship leader that is, have a measure, needs to be full-er of the spirit. I'm saying that because I need it too, brother. But I'm so thankful. He knows how to be led by the Spirit. I hear it when he's playing. I hear it when he's singing, when he shares in the middle of songs. It's the Holy Spirit through him and all of us. But God wants more. God has a mission for his church. He has a mission for this church. And all of us get to participate. Isn't that wonderful? And we do it through his anointing and his power, through the gifts that he gives to each one of us. The last thing I want to look at, to me, is the most important. At the end of chapter 7, Stephen shows us the most important quality, I believe, of someone who is full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And I'll just be honest with you, I want all the other, but this is the one I cry out for day and night. God, fill me. God, possess me. Take me over. Baptize me, Lord. Just completely let me be controlled by you, by your heart of mercy and love. That's the greatest need. And Paul said, I'll show you a more excellent way. Right? In 1 Corinthians 13, I'll show you a more excellent way. Love. I'm going to call it a martyr spirit. Because it's the kind of love, it's not an earthly love. It's a love that gives you the ability to lay your life down for God and for others. And that's literally what Stephen did. But really, it's just, it's being able to say... In, in the fullness of faith, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me that lives. It's Christ now living in me. That's what it means to be full of the Holy. It means you're gone. It means you have yielded everything about you. And I'll tell you, that is the hardest thing for God to get rid of. You. Oh, we can walk away from this. We can... Um, you know, leave that and, and forsake this. But when it gets to ourself, that's the hardest thing God has to deal with to get us to where we finally lay our life, our inner life on his altar and say, I am crucified. It's no longer me living. I've given up the rights to my life, my will, my plans, my desires, my hopes. That's how Romans 12 starts. And then it gets into grace and the gifts. It starts with a living sacrifice. Laying my life on the altar. That's the hardest part for all of us. Because it's like Paul said, oh, I can have faith to remove mountains. Oh, I can speak with tongues of angels. Oh, I can give all, even give my body to be burned. Oh, but to love, 
to love my enemies, to love those persecuting me, to love those that hate me. We can't even love, a lot of times, family members. Forget about people that hate us. That worries me about myself because I see how I, I just, there's a lack of the love of God. And it, again, it makes me cry out. God, empty me. God, help me. I need your power. Help me to just lay my will, my life, everything on the altar, what I want. I don't want anything to hinder your love. I, I, I want people to hear you, to see you. I want to love people the way you love me, the way you revealed your love to me, the way you gave yourself to me. You can't do that. I can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the greatest manifestation of being full of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Again, this is impossible without the Holy Spirit. So we see in Acts 7, 54, after Stephen finishes boldly proclaiming in the power of the Spirit the word of God to these people, they are in Raged. And I just want to say this to you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You start walking in the anointing of God. You start living your life full of the Holy Spirit. You start standing for truth with boldness. You will be hated. You will be persecuted. And if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to love those that are attacking you. It will be impossible. You'll retaliate. You'll try to defend yourself. Whatever it is, you'll try to protect you if you're not full of the Holy Spirit. That's what a martyr spirit is. So, verse 54, when they heard these things, the truth, they were cut to the heart. You see, it wasn't uh, an intellectual just spouting off some truths of Scripture. He was under the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God was alive. And it cut him. It laid bare their conscience. It laid bare their inner thoughts. And they were, they were mad. I've seen that. I've seen that across my desk. When you share truth, it love. And we're going to see, he was in love. He wasn't Bible bashing. He was in pure love towards these people. But they were enraged. They gnashed at him with their teeth. I mean, that's like severe, like, I'm going to get him. But he, being full, there it is, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Wow. That's part of it. 
you know, dreams, visions, that's part of it. Um, but, I, you know, I want to be careful, like, oh, you're going to, the heavens are going to open, you're going to see. No. He's going to open your spiritual eyes to see, to know him. To have scripture that speaks of him. To be so real that you can see it. You know it. It's yours. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But I also believe in an instance like this, you know, he's, he's dying and the heavens are opening to him. He sees God. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God and he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They don't want to hear it. They ran towards him. With one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And if you ever want to research stoning, it's not pretty. It's horrible. But as they're stoning him, he's calling on God. He's saying, Jesus, receive my spirit. But here's, here's the verse that gets me. And then he knelt down. He cried out with a loud voice. And I want us to keep in mind, there's a man standing in the crowd. And his name is Saul. Later to be known as the Apostle Paul. But at this point, he's just like all the religious people of his day. He's blind. He thinks... He knows the will of God. He thinks he knows what the word of God says. But he's all about the letter. He's void of the spirit. He doesn't understand what's really happening here. And he's consenting. It says, when he knelt down, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. That's what that means. I want that more than anything. That no matter what you're doing to me, that's my cry. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, bless them. Lord, don't hold this against them. Now again, if I can't even love those around me, I'm kidding myself. And so the, the people God puts in my life remind me how much I need the Holy Spirit. It makes me desperate because I know I don't have that. Which tells me I need the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I'm not full of the Holy Spirit. I've tasted of that. I've had moments and God let, has let me taste times of that where I was full and I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. There's no fear. There's pure love. There's no barriers, nothing. It's gone. But we go in and out. God don't want the in and out. He wants us to be full of the Holy Spirit. So it says in, in uh, Acts 8, Saul was consenting to his death. And it says about Saul in, in Acts 8.3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He was entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So that's, that's what the Apostle Paul was up to when he was still Saul. 
But yet he heard those words. And I guarantee you those words haunted him. And later, we know what happened to him. He actually wrote this. It's so awesome. So when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we're going to understand more fully what it means, again, to be crucified with Christ. Right? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is key. Because it says he's full of faith. You have to live that life by faith. I reckon myself dead by faith. I reckon myself dead. I reckon myself alive in Christ. All this is apprehended by faith. And we do this so that the life of Christ may be manifested more fully through our lives. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is working in us, but life in you. When I read that, I thought about Paul. Death was working in Stephen, but it was working life in Saul. Isn't that awesome? So when Ephesians 5 says this, it's a command. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled, be full with the Spirit. So we are commanded to be full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means the same way Alcohol, those of us here, some of us in the room, knows what it's like to be intoxicated in the wrong way, right? Anybody here remember that? Did you have control? No, you lost total control of yourself. And you became a fool, right? They say that, um, you know, when you're drunk, it magnifies whatever it is in your flesh. So just think about that. (laughs) So if you are a fool, you really become a fool. (laughs) If you're angry, you become more angry. You lose control. My father drank once in his life when he was in the Navy and he wrecked his brother's car and he never drank again because he didn't like that he lost control. That's why he'd always be like, just stop. I'm like, I wish it was that easy, Dad, when I was hooked on drugs. He didn't understand That wasn't his problem, drugs. He had other things. Don't be drunk. Don't be intoxicated with the wrong thing. Be intoxicated with the Spirit. Let the Spirit take control. The same way whatever that drug or drink, whatever intoxicated you before, let the Holy Spirit do that to you, to where it's not you anymore. It's the Holy Spirit pulling the wires, opening your mouth. We're commanded to be full, controlled by the Holy Spirit. I thought this was really uh, interesting with who this came from, this quote. But in 1950, an evangelist stood in a massive stadium in Los Angeles, California. He began to preach on the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
he shared that the fact that just because some of us believe one thing about the Holy Spirit and some another doesn't negate the fact that God has commanded us to be full of the Holy Spirit. This man was Billy Graham. He knew that in order to live in victory and not defeat, in blessing and not lack, in peace and not torment, is to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Talking to a stadium of tens of thousands of people, Billy Graham stood and boldly declared, You Christians, are you filled with the Spirit? If you are not, he said, you are in sin. Wow. You could say those things back then. In light of that statement... Billy Graham went on to talk about how one Sunday he visited a church where a deacon had walked into the morning service intoxicated in a bad way. Because of this, the church rightly excommunicated him. Brother Graham turned to the pastor and he said, how many of your deacons show up every Sunday morning filled with the Spirit? Do they always show up filled with the Spirit? And the pastor had to bow his head and he replied, no, they don't. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Stephen was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. His fullness gave him an extraordinary power, a Christ-exalting ministry and most of all, a life that overflowed with the love of Christ. So it's one thing to know I need to be filled. It's another thing to be filled or to even want it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something to you. Um, this is out of a book I recently read called The Full Blessing of Pentecost. It's by a man named Andrew Murray who lived in the 1800s. Um, many of the powerful men of God of that day believe this before all the crazy stuff happened in the 70s and 80s and made a mockery of this. And that's why it's so little believed today and we're afraid of it. We're afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid of the gifts. We're afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid to let God move the way he moved in the early church. So he says, um, every tree continues to grow from the root out of which it first sprang. The day of Pentecost was the planting of the Christian church. The Holy Spirit became the power of its life. We need to look to God. We need to turn back to that experience because that's where our power is. There are many of God's children who don't fully believe this. They imagine that the day of Pentecost was like the birthday feast of the church. I heard a well-respected, someone I really respect, preach a powerful sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't believe in the gifts. It was an excellent talk. But he called it, well, that was just the inauguration of the church. Where does it say that in Scripture? This is just for now. And there's nowhere in Scripture where it says it was supposed to end. 
And it didn't. So that argument, just, it just doesn't hold water. They don't consider enough the command to be filled with the Spirit. The result is they never with earnest, earnestness seek to receive the full blessing. If you don't believe it, you're not going to seek it. You're not going to have the faith for it. They take their ease. They remain content with a weak, defective life in which the church of the day exists. Now, that was in the 1800s. What would he say now? People, listen to me. The church is sick. It's not healthy. The church is nowhere near where it, what it needs to be. And it's because there's a lack of the Holy Spirit. There's a lack of desperation in people to believe God, to go after him until they are full of the Holy Spirit and they continue to be full of the Holy Spirit. Because we're like leaky buckets. We don't realize how we leak out what God gives to us. And we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. This is so important. Many Christians think they already have the Holy Spirit. They only need to make a better use of the life they possess. They imagine they have all that is necessary for continued growth. On the contrary, it is my deep conviction that such, such souls are in a sickly state and that they have need of healing. Accordingly, just as the first condition of my recovery from disease is the knowledge that I am sick, so it is absolutely necessary for them to discover and acknowledge they do not walk in the fullness of joy of the Spirit. They do not possess the full blessing which is indispensable for them if they are to please God in everything. So did you hear what that said? If I sit back on my loins, well, I got everything I need. Yeah, I know, I just need to work on things or whatever. Instead of asking, seeking, knocking, God, give me the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit today. God, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. God, use my vessel today, Lord. F flow out of my life today, God. I need you today, Lord. Every day, every moment, every hour. If you don't see your need for that, you won't cry out like that. All the members of the body, even to the least, must be healthy before the body as a whole can be healthy. The indwelling, the fullness of the Spirit is nothing but the entire healthiness of the body of Christ. So look to the back of the room. That's our mission statement. Luke 4, verses 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, or is he? Or is he? He's called us, he's anointed us, and really anointed, that just means he's appointed us to preach the gospel to the poor. He's called us, he's sent us to heal the brokenhearted. He's called us to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover your sight 
to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Nothing happens without the Spirit of the Lord upon us. Ian Bounds said this, the church is looking for better methods. That's why I stopped going to uh, council meetings. I'll just be honest, because I got so sick of hearing church growth strategies that I knew were from the mind of man. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. He has staked his kingdom on men. He's trusted his gospel to men. He's given his spirit to men. The Holy Ghost doesn't come upon methods, but upon men. He doesn't anoint machinery, but men. He doesn't work through organizations, but through men. He does not dwell in buildings, but in men. He indwells the body of Christ. He directs its activities, distributes its forces, empowers its members. So God wants to get us to the place where we can confess it's true. I don't have the full blessing. Not in all of its fullness. Are you willing to admit that today? Or are you full of the Holy Spirit? Does the way Stephen lived his life describe you? Are you able to love when you're persecuted, when people wrong you? Does that just come out of you, that cry, oh God, don't hold this against them? Is that the first thing that comes out of you? Do you have faith to pray and to believe when, when you see someone that needs healing? Do you have faith to believe that when you encounter someone, God's going to give you words to speak and that you're going to proclaim the word with power to people that you come in contact when you know God's prompting you to speak to them and you don't because you're scared? So how does this happen? Well, we learn a lot from the disciples what's really necessary. First and foremost, we have to respond to his call. First thing he did with his disciples was call them. And there's some in this room, God's been calling you, but you have not responded. You have fallen for a false gospel that has no cost. You've asked Jesus into your life but you're not following him. You haven't forsaken all to follow him. You're still clutching and having everything this world has to offer and you're trying to include God in your life. That is not Christianity. That's religion. That'll damn your soul to hell. And if your life hasn't changed, if your desires haven't changed, if you're still living in sin, then, then your vessel is absent of the Holy Spirit and you are not born again. And that should make you shudder. And if Peter were here, he'd stand up and he'd say, repent, repent. 
and receive forgiveness and, and receive the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you an opportunity to do that. But how do we as his people? I know many here, you've answered the call, just like the disciples did. Right? You walked away from things. You, you knew who it was that was calling you. You said, yes, I've decided to follow Jesus. Who, who here has done that? All right? Hopefully most of you. Right? And you know what that means? Right? You're learning more and more. I, I gotta, I'm not of this world anymore. i got to forsake my life in this world. i got to let go of my life in this world. Right? That's what they did. They followed Jesus. They left everything. Step one. Then what did they do? They hung out with him. They were close to Jesus every day. They were around him. They listened to him. They spent time with him every day for three years. Jesus in the flesh. They had more than we have in a sense because it wasn't hard. You know, they had a visible, they could touch him. We got to believe without seeing. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Blessed are those who believe and can't see. They were with Jesus. They saw stuff. Come on. He even sent them out and they did stuff. Remember? Even Judas. Oh, what do you do with that? I don't know. (laughs) Holy Spirit came upon him. You see what we do? Oh, that's not God. Well, it was God, and he was a traitor. I don't understand that, but God used him for the sake of the people he sent him to. The gifts of God are revocable. I don't understand it all. But I know they're gifts, and God uses them for his glory. They were attached to him. Again, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. You would think after three years with Jesus, after seeing everything they saw, listening to him, spending time with him, that when the time come, they'd all stand for him. But what happened? They all ran. They fled. They didn't endure. Will you endure when the trial really comes? When they come for you? when maybe you're facing prison, when maybe they go after your kids. What are you going to do then? What am I going to do? When they come in those doors and they threaten us. See, we don't, we can't, it's hard for us to imagine that, but it happens all the time all over the world. But we need to think about these things. It wasn't enough for them. What had to happen? What had to happen for them to finally get them to the place where they could be full of the Holy Spirit? They had to utterly despair of themselves. And how did that happen? Jesus gave permission to the devil to sift them. Mainly Peter, but really all of them. They went through a fiery trial. Something that in the flesh, it was impossible for them to endure. And God knew it. Jesus knew it. And he said, I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) 
Thank God he's praying for us. But it was all to help them to come to a place where they finally utterly despaired and utterly gave up any hope of believing anything good about themselves or trusting anything in themselves. And that's why when Jesus came back and he said, go and wait, they did exactly what he said and they stayed there until they got what he promised. They were desperate men. They knew if we don't get what he promised, we'll fail just like we did before. So I want to ask you a question. Are you tired of failing? Some of you still living in defeat? Are you tired of not having that boldness when you're out and about? Are you tired of fear gripping you instead of boldness? Do you grieve over the lack of love for even those closest to you? You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And you need to simply do what the disciples did. They believed God. They trusted in his promise. And then they went and did what he said to do. They waited upon him and they looked to him for what they didn't have in themselves. That's what I want us to do as a church, as individuals this year, every day. The days we're living in are, are getting darker and darker and darker. And God gave me that scripture eight years ago. And I see it here and there happening. But what I see in the book of Acts, what I have known and seen in other countries, what have I experienced at different times, I know we need more of the Holy Spirit. And until we get desperate, until we take the time to wait on God, to get at an altar and stay there and not be in a hurry to get out and into the world and begin to cry out and get on our knees. That's where you get it, on your knees. Till you get up in the morning, till I get up in the morning and come to God and look to him and ask and seek and knock. God, I need bread today. God, I need the Holy Spirit now. God, I need you to fill me. It means praying, God, what is it? What's hindering you, God? Search me, try me, show me, Lord. What is it that's blocking you? What am I still trusting? And when the trial comes to show you what that is, own it. Repent of it. Lay it down. That's what your trials are doing now. God is showing you. Whatever thing you are going through, whatever it is, he's trying to show you what you're still hoping and trusting in, looking to other than him. And he wants you to lay it down because he wants to give you a power, a grace that only he can give you so that you can be victorious in the midst of the trial, in the persecution, whatever it is you're going through, so that God can be glorified in your life. So that even those that are maybe God, that's the devil's using, God is allowing in your life to come at you you're going to respond like Stephen. And even though you might not see it at that time, just like he did with, with Saul, sooner or later they're going to know that person has something I don't have. How did he say that while we were stoning him?
Where did that come from? Let's all stand. If you need the Holy Spirit, you know there's a lack in your life. The first step is admitting it and coming to the altar. And, and if you know, whether it's unbelief, whether it's something you're trusting in yourself, whatever it is, you need to just lay it at his feet and then you just need to look up in faith and, and start believing God and asking. And I'm going to pray, uh, and I'm going to ask others to pray for those that want to come up for prayer. I really want us to get used to spending more time at the altars, at praying, seeking God. That's what they did in the book of Acts. I don't know how many times it says they prayed, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit fell. They prayed, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit fell. So I want to open up this altar for that, but I also want to open it up to anyone here. You don't have the Holy Spirit. Your, your life is the same. You might come into church, you might have learned some things, but you know that you know that you know you are the same person. I remember what it was like to live my Christian experience. I was still in sin. I was still held captive by things that bound me before. There was no freedom in my life. I was still miserable inside. I was still looking to other things to satisfy me. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is in you, there's a well. There's living water there. And God will begin to change your desires. You'll begin to thirst for him and the things of God if you're truly born again. So if that's not you, God is inviting you today. Repent. Repent. Confess your sins to God. He'll forgive you. And be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and receive the Holy Spirit. Be born again. Give your life to God today. So I'm going to ask, first and foremost, those in that condition, if God is speaking to you today, and you know that's you. You need to humble yourself and simply come down to this altar and say, Lord, it's me, Lord. Your word has cut me. You've spoke to me, Lord. I know I'm not right. But God, I want to repent today. I want to give my life to you, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit, Lord. I'm empty inside. I know I'm empty I know I'm still the same person. Lord, I want to be a new creation. I want to understand what I've been hearing. I want the testimony that I see around me. Is there anyone here, anyone online? Just repent, turn to God, just come to him. He's calling you today to come to him. And he will pour his spirit out upon you. He will come and live inside of you. But you must repent you must turn away. You must um, forsake your sin in this world. 
and follow him and cling and give your life to him. Is anyone here? Thank you, Lord.